Welcome to First 100K, the show where I interview successful entrepreneurs about how they made their first $100,000. Digging deep to find the tools, tactics, and superpowers that you can use to go from A to 100K. I'm your host, your coach, your friend, Joseph Warren. I am also the founder of two co-working spaces here in Tampa, Florida, where I have the privilege of helping hundreds of entrepreneurs to start, launch, and grow their businesses. Today, our courageous entrepreneur is Aneri Shah, and Aneri is the co uh, is the founder of uh, Siteworthy. And Siteworthy, what they do is they help companies create short form video to scale. She's going to expand on what that actually means to you, um, but she she's a business to business uh, company. And pretty much, from my understanding, Siteworthy, the genius behind them, is that they take like your bad logo, they take your, your bad video off your phone, right off your smartphone, and they create a short, powerful, memorable video that you can market with and expand your brand, expand your influence and expand your client base. So, uh, you know, I just, uh, Neri, thank you for being on the show. Go ahead and fill in some of the gaps in that intro, would you? No, I would love to. And that was actually a wonderful description. So, no, I think what Siteworthy is really all about is this idea that the process of producing content has never been easier, um, as also evidenced by your podcast. You're doing a great job. But, you know, there's GoPros, there's iPhones, there's um, new cameras coming out every day, there's Kodak coin coming out. Uh, and, you know, um, there's this idea that over time, it's not so much about hiring a fancy videographer and spending $10,000 on one 20-second video. It's about how do you quickly create stories um, with content that already exists that you're producing already um, quickly at scale and also uh, with relevancy, right? Like when Oprah gave her speech, um, there was hundreds and thousands of videos that went online within minutes, right? So how do you build towards a world in which relevancy is key uh, in addition to the video being good? Relevancy is really something that will dictate engagement. And so, um, you know, right now we're helping a lot of mid-sized companies create video to scale, but over time, and we have a fantastic supply of editors and motion graphics artists and animators across um, 25 different cities in the US, in Europe and Asia and in South America. And we're gonna continue to expand on that. And we're also providing that creative community with the tools and tips that they need to optimize video for every platform in the world so that you actually don't even have to speak video to be able to create effective video. Wow. So I really get the relevance component. I, and I would say that's a big differentiator, at least in my opinion, right? Is like to connect it, to take my video content and then to connect it somehow to like Oprah and what she just said, which is like all the buzz right now, immediately it's going to just make my video blow up even further, right? And scale faster. Exactly. And so I think, um, you know, when we started this business two years ago, we used to get requests like, hey, can you make me a video exactly like the Dollar Shave Club video. I'm like, okay, go to YouTube, download it, take off their logo and put your logo on it, right? So I think, I think there's, there used to be this idea that to make a video go viral or make it engaging, um, you had to have the perfect script and the perfect mm -hmm. scenario. And you know what? Social media has made it where the perfect scenario is just one where there's eyeballs naturally. And um, those exist now, right? And, and you can quickly... Um, what, what Siteworthy really does is it plugs into those trends that are happening. And so over time, we'll even send you um, little triggers that say, hey, this happened in your industry or this happened in the world. Press this button and quickly create. Um, you combine your existing assets with some assets that already exist. And you can get a video back that you know will get engagement because people are just searching for that. So 
um, our core tenants are really speed and volume. Um, and so that really speaks to the speed aspect of it. And then volume is, you know, you can take a five minute clip and make 50 different variations out of it for 50 different audiences. So for big companies like Nike and MetLife, that's super valuable, right? Because you're going to speak to women of color with no children very differently than you're going to speak to, um, you know, men who are into golf. So, mm -hmm. and, and so being able to really tap into those audiences and create different variations is really powerful for big brands. I get that. Uh, I have so many uh, personal curiosity questions about this, but before we get into it, yeah. um, I'd love to start with this. Take a minute and uh, share with us something personal uh, that very few people in your business life know about you. Oh, that's hard. Um, well, okay. So um, last year we, oh my God, was it a year and a half ago now? Yeah. So but last year, no, 2016, 2016 is a year and a half ago. Um, we, my co-founder and I spent a few months in Chile because we, they give startups equity free grants and that was great. It was great. It was a great way to go focus on our product, go build something and, and not have to give away equity in the early days. Um, and then when I came back, um, I had broken up with my boyfriend and I had no money and no apartment and I was homeless for three months. And, uh, that was definitely an experience like, and, and I have quite a few friends and relatives in New York, but. It's, it so happened that there were a few days where nobody coincidentally was able to house me. And I literally was like, oh my God, should I go sleep in the park? Or like, what should I do? Um, and then luckily a friend was like, oh my God, no, Anary, come over, whatever. I found one person. And um, that day, or I think the next day I went and got some freelance work just so I could go um, sublet, apart sublet an apartment for a month because it affected my, you know, just this, even when you go to meetings, um, and you're meeting with investors or you know people at sea level you know people in in c-suite positions um in the back of your head you're thinking oh my god if they only knew that, i have nowhere like, to go home to today where to go home to tonight. <laughs> or that i'm living out of like one suitcase and all of my stuff is in storage and i've been living off eight pairs of clothes for three months people just don't realize that that kind of stuff happens um and then you have to figure out ways to like i think this idea of when you're not making enough revenue to support your lifestyle, but then you have to give off the impression that you're doing well to make money is super, is super difficult. And I, nobody really talks about that because it's, it's embarrassing. Anari, yeah. you just, I think you just nailed it, right? You just spoke to startup nation, my audience here, right? Listen, startup nation, you're out there struggling to make your first $100,000, right? You have to go through that stage. It's like the, the, um, the hazing stage, it's going through the fire. Uh, Anari's talking about like her struggle right there. And we're not even into the content, but what a great story. It's like, how do you show up well in business when you're going home to a mess or a situation that's just not working for you, right? You don't even have a place to sleep. She didn't have a place to sleep and she's meeting with these top successful business guys and pitching right? Her product and service. And how do you do that without that kind of like mind effing yourself, right? Like the self-sabotage and it's like, oh my gosh, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. Like if they only knew that I'm a fraud, right? And sometimes that's such a loud voice in our head. What shows up for you there, Anari? No, I mean, I think the scare, like imagine thinking in your head, like the only question they would have to ask is like, oh, so where are you living? And you're like, literally, I don't know. You're like, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> um, no, but I mean, I think it's, it's kind of, uh, it, it pushes you to make that first sale faster. So I think, you know, when I, um, when I started my first business, uh, I, I still had a full-time job. 
And the biggest mistake I made in that business was that we didn't monetize quickly enough. And I actually truly believed that it was because we still had a paycheck. So there was no pressure to monetize. And it was a mistake. It could have been, it was this fitness app. It was the right time. It, we were getting all this organic growth, but we just didn't think about it critically. We just thought of it as a side project. My second business, it was, it got to a point where it was literally, what can we do to quick, like in six months, what can we do to make money? So that first six months, we only made $10,000, but for us, that was like, okay, some validation, some money. Um, and I think it just, when, when you, when you're, especially when, I mean, you know, no matter what kind of business you're doing, I get that some businesses are not going to see revenue right away. Um, but I think for us, that was a big stamp of validation of let's keep going. Yeah, I get that big time. All right. So uh, let's get right down to business. And then we're going to get into the story because you and I are jumping around right now because I really like you and, and I, th your story is great. I could just feel uh, the energy here. So um, our audience loves to know context. How, how much revenue approximately did you guys do in the past 12 months? Gross revenue. Of no, yep. We've done about 150K in the past 12 months. Got it. And what are you on track to do in the next 12 months? So um, we're raising a seed round right now. <laughs> so if we raise a seed round, um, I'm projecting, and this is going to sound crazy, but somewhere in the annual run rate of a million. Um, and if we don't raise money, then, you know, right now the demand is outstripping how quickly we're able to, like we're getting to that point where the demand is outstripping how quickly we're able to service it for video. Um, but I would guess that if we don't raise any money, we'll make somewhere between three to 400 grand next year, this year. Congratulations. I mean, that's fantastic growth right there, you know? Yeah. Um, how, how long are you into the business? How long ago did you start? Uh, two years and a few months. Got it. Okay. So you're two years in, you're at 150K, you're on track to gross a million uh, yeah. in the next 12 months. Yep. Yeah. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. So Neri, we all love to hear from the mega millionaires, the billionaires, um, their success stories, right? Uh, but many of our, my audience struggle to relate to them because they're struggling to make their first 100K. They're hearing the stories of tens of millions, hundreds of millions, billions of dollars. And those are completely different struggles up there. Um, take us back to when you were struggling to make your first 100K, your first year in business. Paint us a vivid picture and tell us that story. Yes. So I would say that um, my first piece of advice is stop reading blogs about billionaires that talk about how they make money because um, they focus on things that don't make sense when you're in your first 100K. So my, our very first client was the hardest client to get just because one, you're still in that phase of you don't even want to see friends because you're like, we haven't made money yet. Um, the first client we went, it was um, through a personal connection. Um, it was, I used to work at Shutterstock and uh, the CTO of Shutterstock went on to a new company called Work Market and we went to work market. Um, and at that point we were also doing some filming and, you know, our business model was a little bit different. Um, we had no samples. We didn't really know, we knew what we were doing in terms of pricing, but you know, we had no sales yet. So there was definitely a little bit of um, fear about if they even ask for a sample, what are we going to do? <laughs> uh, and so we went and luckily our personal connection was like, Oh, I'm in, uh, let's try to, Oh no, let's try to do this. But then the head of HR, um, was like, oh, I want to meet with them and let's, let's, let's do some due diligence and, and talk. Um, so, you know, a month or two goes by and we haven't gotten the yes yet. And we're both kind of freaking out because we're like, all right, we're about to hit, you know, the five month mark. And we said six months. Um, and one of our friends said, you guys just need to woman up and just go over there, like literally go old school sales, like go over there with cupcakes. So we pretended they don't even know this, but 
we pretended we had a meeting nearby and that we had bought or gotten cupcakes from that meeting. And we like literally went and bought cupcakes and just stopped by their office and gave them cupcakes and they signed the contract that day. <laughs> Are you kidding me? And it was like, our first 10,000. It was our first $10,000. And um, we felt so silly, just like, hey, we just happened to be in the neighborhood. And I think um, I love that quote that to improve, one must contend to be thought foolish and stupid. <laughs> yes. And it's, it's, it's like you, you, that obviously is not going to scale. Um, we, didn't, we didn't bring cupcakes to our next 20 customers, right? But, <laughs> but um, Why it, not? <laughs> maybe we <laughs> should have. I don't know, right? <laughs> um, but it was, it was interesting how quickly that went from like, oh, maybe to, oh, yeah, you know what? And I, and I do think um, I would be interested to know from their perspective why they signed that day. I'm sure there was a certain level of guilt associated with like, well, they've done a couple meetings. Now they're here with cupcakes. They're so nice. So who knows? I don't know. But um, I think that level of high touch is just necessary. And I think the other piece of advice too is don't underestimate the power of your immediate network. I think a lot of times people are uncomfortable <clears throat> going to people that they just know. Um, but the first, I think eight or nine customers all came from our personal network. And then you'd be surprised at how quickly the referrals start to roll in after that. So up to like our first 10, I mean, if you're B2B, if up to our first 10 customers, we're all personal network. I love that. Startup Nation, listen to the wisdom <laughs> bombs that an area is dropping on you. Look at your own personal network first before you're reaching out for those cold, those cold leads, those cold sales, right? Who in your network can connect you to who you want to do business with, right? And sometimes it's closer than you think. Uh, I remember just a quick personal story uh, with this podcast. I, it was Thanksgiving and it was the first uh, show that I had missed. Um, I didn't have content, you know, in the pipeline for iTunes and I really felt terrible about it. I was like, you know, I'm lacking integrity with my audience. Uh, I, pr I promised a weekly show and I'm about to miss one. And I said, I got a man up because I didn't want to do the editing because I was, I'm still at the stage where I'm doing a lot of the editing myself and I don't enjoy that part of the business. However, I was like, let me go on Facebook. Let me set up a few more interviews because I had no more in the pipe, the pipeline. And I just went into my friends uh, list and I picked 15 uh, friends on Facebook who had businesses that looked successful. And I was like, you know what? I kind of want to learn their stories. And I just picked them at random. I wrote a quick little message. I copied and pasted it to scale um, for all 15 of them. The same message, changed their names, and just sent it out and said, I'd like you to be a guest on the show. Here's my uh, link to book in my calendar. And 12 out of 15 signed up that day. And I had 12 interviews set up that I'd even have to do hardly any work for. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, I'm not leveraging the people right in front of me. And one of the, the people that said yes was Larry Winget, who's like this celebrity. He's on Fox, CNN. He's a six-time New York Times bestselling author, speaker, and everything. And he said yes. He's like, you know, you got to speak with my agent, but yeah, I'll do it. And I was like, like two degrees of influence from like all these top people. And I wasn't using it. So Startup Nation, learn the lessons from both of us, Anaria and myself, use your personal network, look at them right now, who can you connect with? So Anaria, I'd like to ask you this question, it comes up often on this podcast. Uh, we all have a superpower, something that we're the best at in our business, and we really want to outsource everything else so that we can do that better and more effectively and to mm. scale, as you said. What would you say is your personal superpower in your business? So at core, I'm a really good writer. Um, and so I think writing has become this interesting kind of almost like diverse, uh, it's, it's 
being a good writer makes you good at a lot of things. It makes you good at creatively growing the marketplace of creatives um, because you know what language to speak to them in, you know where to reach out, you know how to, you know how to get in their heads um, mm. about what the value add is. Um, and I think like the, and also telling your story, right? Like I think at the early stage of any business, like I'm an amazing storyteller. Um, and so I, you know, I've noticed that I can make something like a fancy submit button feel revolutionary. You know, like I, I'm good at, I'm good at uh, taking something and, and providing enough context that no matter what it is, people understand it and get excited about it. And I think at this stage of the business, when you're still the first couple years in, um, that storytelling skill is pretty invaluable. So things like fundraising, um, growing the creative network, and then also doing all the copy on our website and creating the voice of Siteworthy are the things where I love doing, I love, I love doing that stuff. Um, and the other stuff I try to outsource. I got that. All right. So Neri, describe to us the biggest fail, mistake, or setback that you had your first year in business. Oh, actually I can. Um, so w when we first started our business, we had a mark, we had, uh, we weren't just working off existing raw footage. We were also sending videographers out there to film, which is um, a much, honestly, a much worse business. The margins are lower. I'm not a video expert. It, it was, it was tough. And also your locate, your location dependent. And we didn't pick up on that quickly enough. And then when we were in Chile, this one thing that happened was both my co-founder and I, um, one of our, I don't want to say the name of the client just for privacy purposes, but there was a client that signed on to do video with us that, and then the client was a pretty big deal. Like they're pretty well known in the New York tech community and neither Zulay or I were in the country, but we sent a videographer to go do it that we like knew wasn't as good, but we wanted to give him a chance and he didn't do a good job. So they reached out and said, Hey, we want to redo. And we both were literally, um, a few, literally a few hours away from um, hiking up Machu Picchu. Like we were in Peru. We were like, we're not going to have service for the next week and a half. It's only us two full time on this company. This is a big deal client. What are we going to do? So we, within like an hour, found somebody to help manage client expectations and communicate with them. We found through, um, and this is another mistake we made, instead of picking the videographer that we knew was good, he wasn't available and we just didn't have enough people in our network at that time. And so we found a friend of a friend. So it was two or three degrees removed and the shoot went badly again. And so the client ended up not, they, and I think for me, it wasn't really about the money. Like they ended up, one, we ended up losing a bunch of money on this project, right? Because we had done the shot twice and then they still weren't happy. But I think the bigger thing to me was um, one, I'm like, we both should never be out of service ever when we're this early on in the business. Like it's just not wise um, because this was really stressful. And two, um, I think, uh, yeah, just our, we failed on customer service. I'm like, you know, they know a lot of people in this community and um, we can no longer use them as a reference. And I also just felt bad because a friend had referred me to that company. So um, that set us back a little bit because we were still early on in the business that if one out of eight clients is not happy and they're pretty well known, mm. um, we were a little bit hesitant about, we, it, it put us in a position where we became scared about doing a lot of outreach um, based on if they knew that company because they were pretty upset. So that was, um, I mean, now looking back, no big deal, like no sweat, right. but at the time um, it felt crappy. I mean, I would say the other one, um, yeah, I guess that that was a big one that I can like remember. And I'm trying to think of if there was any other. No, that's a good uh, one. Really big ones. Yeah. Now it sounds to me like that 
that put a ding in your self-confidence, right? To yeah, reach at the time. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely, right? It's like you just landed this big client, right? Very reputable. They could really make or break you in a way, your reputation yes. as a company. And you, you had kind of an epic fail twice, right? And as far as the customer service side of things, and it's like, how, do you, how did you bounce back from that? I'm trying to remember because it was a little while ago. I think that I, I think that I, I, I remember emailing my friend and apologizing and saying, Hey, I'm sorry. Um, and we, I think we sent them stuff. Like I think we sent them gifts or swag cupcakes. or something, cupcakes. not cupcakes, but something. <laughs> and we, we just said, look, we, we were honest. We were, we were vulnerable. We said, look, we're new. Uh, we were out of town. We didn't mean for this to happen. Uh, we totally understand. Like, don't even worry about paying. Also, here's a bunch of stuff. And, and I think that did help mollify some of the, mm. some of like the um, kind of resentment mm. uh, or like, and I, and I think, I think at core, how I felt was um, we made this guy who hired us look bad at this company. And he like was putting, and because we were early on in our business, he knew and we knew that he was putting faith in us and we felt like we had let him down. Um, and I think it's the kind of thing where when you're a big company and that kind of thing happens, maybe the ramifications aren't so large, but when you're small, you definitely feel like, oh, like he was willing to help us out and we failed twice. Um, so yeah, we just, we just made sure to keep in touch and apologize and send them stuff and they never used us again, but at least we didn't, I think the way that we mollified it was at least they didn't go talk about us to a bunch of people and say, Hey, they suck. Got it. They so were able startup. to realize like, Hey, we're, they're a startup. It's okay. Yeah. So startup nation. Listen to Startup Nation, listen to the, the advice there from Aneri. Like, you're going to make mistakes your first year in business. It's just going to happen. Hang on one second. Treat them like gold. Now, Startup Nation, listen to the advice that Aneri just dropped there. It's so important. Your first year in business, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to have epic fails with customers, and they're going to be big customers sometimes, important customers, customers that can make or break your brand. Do what she did. When you mess up, it's just being part of the human race. When you mess up, be authentic about it, be honest about it, be transparent and say, hey, listen, we're brand new, we messed up. How can we make it right? Or, or here's how we're going to make it right. You know? And she did the best they could right at that point. And she said, listen, we don't want your money, we messed up, um, here's some free gifts and, and stuff. And really that can make the difference. And they didn't go out and they didn't badmouth her in the community, which they very easily could have. So it may have taken some of the sting away from their experience. Um, and that's so important is just be real with people. When you do great, hey, take ownership of it. When you mess up, take ownership of it. It's so important. Is there anything you want to add to that, Anari? Yeah, I think this idea that, and I think I've read this in a few blogs, but I never really thought about it until this happened is like, your first, however many customers, you know, everyone's volume is different, but your first set of customers are your biggest cheerleaders and can be your biggest cheerleaders and you have to treat them that way. Um, and even if you have a bad experience, at least then they don't go badmouth you. But um, I think the takeaway really is just make sure that you treat your first set of customers like they're royalty. Got it. Yeah. I love that expression. It's like uh, treat your first set of customers like the president of the United States is showing up at your business. How would you treat him, right? Um, treat, treat your customers that way. What was the biggest fear holding you back your first 12 months in business? Um, just, I think the biggest thing was for me, um, like, can we succeed? You know, when it's just you and your co-founder and you have like a deck and like the like, first beginnings of a product and you're not making enough money to even know a lot of it's, well, one, are you going to run out of money? But then two, I think even the bigger thing, it's like, 
um, the first year of business, um, most of your friends and your family are not cheering you on. They're sending you job applications. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true so they're like are you sure and I think nobody really talks about that as a founder but you know one of my mentors um, she created and sold a business called Webdem to Shutterstock years ago and they never took any venture money but they were around for four or five years before they were acquired and she's like even in the fourth year people were like are you sure <laughs> um, and so I think even you have your own self-doubt and then people don't necessarily it's not that they don't support you they just they don't get it. Um, and, and then you start to feel like, well, maybe they're right. And mm. maybe they are right. I don't, you know, every business is different, but you, you have to believe in yourself so much more than you did when you were just at a job. Um, because people, it, you're just outside of the confines of what most people perceive as normal. And so I think getting over that was the hardest thing because you actually, it changes your friendships. Like you go out, you stop going out with certain people and you start going out with others because I think I did realize I had a certain set of friends that they had a habit of going to a job they hated where they made a lot of money and then going and spending that money on booze and food and then complaining. And yeah. Of course, they're not going to get what you're doing, right? You're, you're right. creating a life that you want. They're not going to get that. So at Startup Nation, it is your responsibility to educate um, people on your product and service. It's not their responsibility to get it. It's just not. And, and I think that's sometimes the gap is we think, why don't they get it? Do, they, they obviously don't love me because they don't get my business. They're not supporting me. And it's like, no, it's your responsibility over time to be consistent in your messaging until they get it. Would you agree? Yeah. And I think it's, and, and that's, I love that you just use the word consistency because I think what got people to realize that this was serious is just the consistency. Yes. If I had done this for even a year and given up, people would have been like, oh, that was cute whatever that was just yeah. like they wouldn't have seen it as a uh a, a venture they would have seen it as unemployment and so <laughs> i think i think i think what's and not that other people's perceptions should matter but we're all human they do mm -hmm. um and so i think it, the more consistent you are the more and, and the more consistently you deliver your message and keep getting out there even if it's hard um people start to realize and i think the biggest thing too is people who've never started a company you pivot a thousand times as you start and it's not even really pivoting it's honing in on what your specific value prop becomes like even changing our business from filming and editing and animating to just existing assets and animation and post-production was a game changer. And so I think it takes more time than you think to get to a point where you feel like you've hit that, especially when it comes to your first hundred K. I think you just nailed such an important point. It's like, we expect an area like our family, our friends and the, the business community to get what it is that we're doing while we're trying to figure out what the heck it is that we're doing. No. We don't even have it figured out, right? The first 12 months to two years, you're iterating, right? You're going through, you're trying to figure out what is my model? What is that perfect product for that ideal customer? And really connect that and fill that gap. Well, of course, like people aren't going to be able to keep track of all the pivots, all the turns that you're making. So it's up, it's up to us, again, to be responsible and say, let me just consistently um, create this business model and really connect it to that ideal customer and the rest, everyone around me will get it when I finally get it. Right. But we have to do the work of, of doing that. How many hours would you say you put in your first year in business per week? Oh my God. <laughs> um, approximately like give us let's a range. Think. So if I were to do maybe like 
60 to 70. 60 to 70. Yeah. yeah that's I didn't do, I didn't do, I tried not to do the midnight oil thing because um, I did, I don't, one, I don't work super well that way, but two, I think I, this is just how I work personally. It's not for me so much how many hours I put in that makes me feel like uh, things are going, I have the energy. I can put in 80 hours and not be tired and 40 hours and be super tired. Mm. For me in particular, the first six months were really hard because I didn't feel like we had the business nailed down. Like we didn't know exactly what we were, not even exactly what we were doing. I feel like we were pretty far away. We were just kind of like video in general. And um, so sometimes I felt a little bit directionless, whereas now that we've honed in pretty specifically on what we're doing and it's starting to really churn, um, it's more about like, oh, I wish there was more hours in a day because there's so much we can do. And so I think for me, this stage of the business is really fun. So I probably put in more hours now than I did the first year of the business. I, I probably did about 60. Now I'm like, probably more than that. I get that. Yeah. So it's not about the, the quantity of the hours. It's like, what are you doing with the hours? And is it leaving you exhausted or leaving you energized? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's Agreed. powerful. Uh, what would you say is the best business advice you received uh, this business during this business? Um... In the beginning, we were actually trying to build, and this is pretty product specific, but it was, it was randomly good. I'll give you maybe two, but randomly two good pieces of advice. One specific to product was when we were initially started, we were actually trying to build like a software tool for video creation for individuals. Um, and at some point, and then in my experience was in building marketplaces. And so um, I thought it, uh, at some point in the business, someone was like, oh, you're connecting brands to freelancers and producing video. That's a pretty cool business. And it's, it's interesting how sometimes an objective party can identify what your business is better than you can. And I'm like, oh, that makes so much sense. That's what we're good at. That was huge. And I think the advice to take away from there is um, do what you're good at. Otherwise, it's very, especially if it's your first business, it's very stressful if you're trying to do something that's really beyond your realm of knowledge. The other part of advice that was really helpful, um, I was at an event where there was female founders speaking very candidly about their experiences and the founder of this company, Zirtual, they went bankrupt overnight and had to fire like 400 people overnight. Mm. Uh, and it was because they have, were relying on some funding to get people to, uh, to get to the business to a certain place that all kind of fell through at the same time. Um, that happened. And she said, the minute you make your first, whatever, 50 or 100 grand in revenue, I think she said 50 grand, um, don't, if you're not deeply in finance, bring on an advisor or someone that can help you out with finances. Um, and she said that her biggest mistake was that because she was semi good with numbers, um, she said that's actually the dangerous spot because then you don't think you need anybody mm. to help you out with all of that stuff. Um, and that's where she failed is she just didn't do her projections correctly. So uh, that day I immediately went to, um, I used to work at Shutterstock. I went to the former CFO who is amazing and continues to be wildly successful. I was like, help me. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a cupcake. <laughs> so he know, but he's been an advisor now for a year and a half, and we meet. You know, we talk once a week, uh, and he's been wildly helpful. And as we raise money, looking at our financial model, our operating model, helping us think about how we should be thinking about scaling as we grow, uh, and how we should be thinking about numbers. And I think um, that was like really good advice that was pretty specific. But I, it's not about hiring someone full time that does that. It's just get advisors, like get people in your network that know how to do this stuff. So you're not, you know, if you're selling creative services and you're creative and you're not necessarily, you know, your background isn't in finance, that can be, a, you're going to have to deal with finances after you hit a certain point in revenue. And I think 
that was something I hadn't thought about because like her, I'm semi good with numbers. And, and she said, that's the dangerous spot. I got it. So Aneri, I interview so many founders of uh, new companies, right? And they're doing, they're so successful. And they say some of the biggest mistakes they made was not really getting a hold of their finances early on. Yep, totally. uh, exactly to your point. So 50K, that's a great place to really go, okay, I need someone to handle my numbers or to at least oversee it. And really put me in check on any blind spots that I'm missing. And I think what an important relationship you have with um, the uh, Shutterstock uh, CFO. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I guess you have to contribute to that relationship, right? To keep that going. And Startup Nation, it's, you know, what is that relationship or relationships in your life right now that you are not contributing to that could be so powerful for you and your growth and expanding your brand, et cetera, and how can you contribute to them as well? So, uh, Anari, share with us one of your daily habits that has helped you to get to where you are currently. So, when I first started, and it's, it, I wouldn't say it's daily, but this is a habit I've formed um, that has, like, changed my life. Okay. Um, I, well, two. So the first one, when I, in the first year of business, um, I got rid of a lot of extraneous expenses like the gym and eating out all the time. And the gym was really tough because I was like, what now? Um, and a couple people in my co-working space had signed up for a half marathon. I had like never run more than like two miles. <laughs> and I was like, okay, whatever. It was in two and a half months. <laughs> and I signed up as just this thing that everybody in the office was doing. And um, and I found a running partner, like this guy in my office. And so me, him, and this other girl used to run together. And I remember the first time I went on a run with him, I, I was, I freaked out. I'm like, how am I going to do this? I can't even run two miles. And he helped me create a schedule where little by little, I was incrementally increasing how much I ran each day. Um, to the point where I think I, I think I never ran more than nine miles, but you know, it, it was fine. Um, and I remember like three weeks in was, it changed a lot of things. One, um, when you're running that much every day, you have to hydrate. So all of a sudden I was like drinking coconut water and being more mindful. And two, you're sleeping early and eating healthy because you have to. And so it naturally just impacts all these things in your life that you don't realize how important that stuff is when you start a company. And it's kind of, it's not even really starting a company. It's like looking into your soul or something, right? And I think for me, it, like I couldn't believe that after freaking out at two miles, by the end of eight weeks, I could run nine or 10 miles. And then I ran nine minute miles for the half marathon. And then I wasn't tired afterwards. And it was like this weird boundary in my head of like, oh, I can do anything. <laughs> like as long as I break it down into small steps. Mm. Um, it's not about that looming thing. Like if I had kept telling myself, oh my God, 13 miles, I never would have done it. But it's like, okay, tomorrow's three miles. Tomorrow's 3.5 miles. The next day is 3.8, whatever, four miles. And I learned that anything is possible when you break it down into small incremental steps. It changed my life, and I would say I've now run five <laughs> marathons, wow. um, and I never, ever thought, like, and I think now it's so interesting how people call me a runner now, because that two years ago, people were like, oh my God, my brother literally the night before my first half marathon was like, do you think you'll finish? <laughs> um, and it's interesting that how that mindset can change, and so I learned that there's no such thing as being a runner or being an entrepreneur. It's just, are you willing to put in the time? Um, I get that. And Aneri, you just like, that was so powerful what you just said, right? And it totally came from a place outside of business, right? They're totally. running marathons. And yet you got the formula to be successful in business, right? Totally. It's 
It's literally breaking down these big milestones, these big goals that you want to achieve startup nation into these small consistent or consecutive actions, right? So what is that one action today that I want to get done that will move me to that next action tomorrow, et cetera, et cetera. And, and it's these small digestible uh, actions, not these big Goliath things. It's like breaking it down. So it's so small, so doable um, that it's easy to just say, you know what, let me just do it. Let me just get it done. Yeah, and like write it down. Like I think that helps yeah. me too is literally having it written down so that if I if I did it, I would check it. And if I didn't, I had to cross it out. And mm. and, and so and and I, it like it, it does something to you, right? When you look at something written down or you know in your computer and you haven't done it. Uh, and then I just started this in 2018. Um, I write for 15 minutes a day right when I get up in the morning. Um, of just like and and I use this thing called Penzu, P-E-N-Z-U.com. It's like just an online journal. I don't post it anywhere. Um, it's really nice. It helps you reflect. It's quick. It, it's becoming a habit. Um, and I'm, what I'm hoping will happen is that over time, instead of 15 minutes, it'll become 30 and then 45. And, um, I, and, then, me, and then you're writing a marathon, which would be a book, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Like so just, I don't know what, yeah. I don't know what my end goal is with it yet, but I think it'll help me figure out what kinds of things I care about. Love it. Love it. Yeah. What is, this is the final question in this section. What is the one thing? that you want Startup Nation, all my listeners to know about being successful in business? Whew, that is tough. Um, I think probably what you just said, well, okay, a couple things. One, um, habits are huge. Um, when you have a full-time job, your habits are set for you. When you start a company, they are not. You could start at noon and nobody would know, especially when you're first starting out. So being really intentional about that is super important um, and hard. So um, get apps, write stuff down, like read blogs, figure out. But I would say that the biggest thing that's going to indicate whether or not you're successful is if you're able to maintain habits while starting something that's so volatile. The second thing, and I'm going to say too, is um, there is no possible way for you to know how to do everything. Even if you have a co-founder, there's no possible way for both of you to be able to cover everything. Find and maintain good advisors. Um, they will literally like change the nature of your business and put your mind at ease because they'll make intros, they'll give you rubrics, they'll give you templates, they'll, and put in time. Like if you don't have those people in your network kind of naturally, um, build those relationships, give before you get. Um, but I cannot stress enough the importance of having advisors guide you through decisions that are, you, you have no idea how many things you're going to be faced with that you never thought you'd have to learn. Um, it helps to have people mitigate that learning curve. Got it. Okay, so Neri, we're about to head into the hustle round. This is my favorite part of the show. I get to ask you 12 quick fire questions. You'll have about three seconds to answer each. Don't overthink it. The first thing that comes to you, are you ready? Ready. All right, here we go. What's your favorite sound? Music. <laughs> that was the best <laughs> facial expression. What's your least favorite sound? Uh, chalk on board. Got it. When you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? Astronaut. What are you most afraid of? Heights. Got it. What did you spend way too much time doing your first year in business? Uh, reading books. What secret fear do you have about people? Um, sorry, I'm, that's hard. Uh, yeah, yeah, like we all are concerned about what people think and stuff. What's your secret fear about people? Like what they think about me? Sure. Or just in general? In general. Um, that I'm perceived. Am I feminine enough? That what? That I, like, am I perceived as feminine? 
Got it. Okay. What do you wish you had oh, learned sooner? At, no, that's fine. What do you wish you had learned sooner in business? Um, to, to ask for help. Yeah, that's a powerful one. And what is a new habit that you want to form? Um, the writing one. And then, um, I, oh God, the, the writing one. I really want to, I really want to write every day. Got it. And what's a bad habit you want to break? Too much Netflix. <laughs> Too much Netflix. Awesome. Pick yeah. three words, pick three words to describe who you are now. Um, brave, foolish, and sarcastic. Okay. Got it. <laughs> you just painted me a great picture. Uh, pick three words to describe who you were your first year in business. Um, scared, indecisive, um, and excited. Okay. Imagine sometime in the distant future and there you are standing in front of your tombstone. Read to us what it says on it. I'm going to say something Tina Fey said. To write is to live forever. Got it. Awesome. And last question. If you could come back to life after you died and tell your family and friends only one piece of advice, what would you say to them? Invest in people. Invest in people. Love it. All about relationships. That's awesome. And Ari, what's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? Um, a couple different ways. So you can either email me. It's Aneri, A-N-E-R-I at SiteWorthy, S-I-G-H-T, worthy.com. Um, you can also find me, if you want to slide into the DMs, you can find me on Instagram. It's C-A-N-E-R-I 505. Um, those are probably the two best ways to reach me um, if, you want to, if you want to connect. So yeah, either shoot me an email or find me on Instagram and we can connect. Awesome. And is there anything that you want to share with Startup Nation? Anything you want to promote a project you're working on, an upcoming book you're writing, anything like that you have? Go 30 seconds. Actually, yeah, I would love. So I think two things. One, um, if you need to create short form video or if you just want advice on what platforms are hot, um, literally feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to give you tips on shooting with your iPhone and uh, what platforms are hot. Second, um, I'm toying with the idea of creating a podcast um, uh, led by women of color for women of color. So if you are a woman of color, reach out to me and I would love to talk to you. Cool. Do you have a uh, working title? Uh, ambiguous Brown. Say that again. Ambiguous Brown. <laughs> ambiguous Brown. That's fun. I like that. Awesome. And Ari, thanks for joining us today. And I wish you peace, love, and superpowers. Cool. Thank you. You're welcome. Startup Nation, want to grow your business faster than you ever imagined? Head over to First100K for even more tools, tactics, and tricks that you can use to go from A to 100K. I'm Joseph Warren, and you were made for greatness. So stop being a wuss and start being a winner. Have a blessed day, and I'll catch you on the next show. Cheers. Yeah.